weeks, months actually, as we look for a worship person, we've asked for our worship team to take some risks. They're about to do stuff and did today um, that make them nervous, but they did it because they believe in the value of us worshiping together as a corporate body. So I, I ask you to just join with me in thanking them for stepping out and doing that this morning. Tracy, if you'd open us with a word of prayer. God, we just come quiet. After praising your name and singing about the fact that your name is powerful and it's good and it's close, and God, we don't always feel that way. So will you remind us today, will you just remind us that you're here and that your love is great? Thank you for allowing us to come into your presence Thank you for the singing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You'd be seated, please. Happy Mother's Day. So my name is Tracy, and I am Blair's wife. So I get the privilege each Mother's Day to come and share with you a little bit that's on my heart or things that I've gone through over the last year. And we have a really, really, really special morning planned for you because we're going to actually look at a story in scripture about a mom in a desperate situation. And then later, we're also going to hear a very special story from loving parents about a desperate situation that they saw God act in. So we'll be in 1 Kings 17 today. And here we'll find in the story some normal, everyday, common occurrences But there are also some uncommon, unexpected things and unsuspecting people along the way. So we'll see that sometimes God asks of us a lot, too much sometimes, way too much. And moms, I'm going to be honest, you might wrestle a little bit here when we tell you the story, but hopefully it will challenge you and it will challenge all of us to think about how God reaches into our lives and sometimes in the most unusual ways. We're going to start with the backstory right now. First Kings 17, Elijah, who was a prophet of God, has been asked by God to go to a king of Israel um, that is far, his heart is far from God. And he's being asked to repent, and so Elijah is being given these words to deliver to this king. It's not going to rain until you get things right. And this offends the king. He's angry that anybody would talk to him like this. And so he decides that the best form of justice would be Elijah's death. So now Elijah is scared. He's he's nervous about what to do. But God decides to provide for him. And so he sends him out into the wilderness. It's a really barren part of, um, we'll show you this eventually. Um, But it's so secluded that he's safe. But it's so barren that there's nothing there to provide for his needs. And so we find in the story that there's a small little brook that goes by for him to get water, and God has ravens who start dropping uh, meat and bread to him on a regular basis. Now get this, if your food supply had been in the mouth of birds before you ate it, how well would you do? My guess is if you were hungry enough, you'd eat it just like Elijah did. Now, Elijah's been in the wilderness for quite a while, a year, maybe more, and he's been fed, he's been protected, and he's gotten water from the small brook that Blair talked about. But Elijah knows, and he prophesied, that no rain would be coming to fill this brook. The drought is impacting him because the brook has dried up. And in the desert, water is life. And without a dramatic change, Elijah's life is on the line, and not just from a king who's hunting him down. And in 1 Kings 17, 7... 
it says that sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. God sees his plight and he comes close. And he shares a plan that he's found someone who can take care of Elijah. Did you notice the text? It says that I have directed a widow to supply you with food. Now a woman who was cooking and cleaning and having food and providing for others was pretty normal. But what's not normal is the fact that God actually directed her to provide for this Elijah prophet. Now this is gonna be a big deal to us as we unfold the story. Now remember, um, Elijah is in this place because he's following God. I think there's sometimes a narrative that we tell ourselves that if we're following God, that stuff that could be bad doesn't cross our path, that it's almost like a protection. But Elijah was following God. He's being um, threatened. He has no water. And now he's being asked to take a pretty dangerous journey. I want you to sh uh, show you this on a map. We're going to put this map up. This is Israel. And uh, this would have been pretty well populated all along this area, especially along the water um, through this area here. Um, but Elijah was sent by God all the way out into the desert here. So he's, he's out of the, off the map. It's why he wasn't found. <laughs> Nobody would go there. There's nothing here. And where he's being asked to go on this journey is off the map. You can't even see it. It's not in Israel. But he can't travel through Israel to get there. He's, he's a wanted guy. So his path is going to be through the desert, through this mountainous area. All of this is, ter this is terrible stuff. I don't know how long this takes. This takes weeks, maybe even a month of time. And so how are you going to make that journey without food or water? I don't know. But he has enough trust in God that God says, I want you to do this. And Elijah walks off into the desert. So the path that God chooses for him is highly suspect, not just because of the train he had to travel, but he's actually chosen for him to go and talk to a woman. We don't know much about Elijah's background, but we do know that women were not quite highly favored at that time. And she's a widow. And the other thing that's interesting is she's not Jewish. We don't know the culture that she comes from or if she has any protection from her community. We don't even know her name. We know nothing about her except she's a widow. We only know that she doesn't live in Israel, that her spouse has died, and she probably has a really, really hard life. So that's curious. Why would God send his prophet Elijah to somebody who might not be able to provide for him with an extra mouth to feed for her? Now, it's safe for Elijah, but what about her? She's poor, she has a low status, and she's not Jewish. So why in the world did God make this choice? There's no indication that Elijah knew her before this. In fact, what the text suggests is that God knows her, which again raises so many questions. How does somebody who's not Jewish find some sort of connection with a Jewish God? And how did that relationship grow to a place where she, like she had a heart that God knew that could be trusted, was willing to send a prophet to him? How does all that happen? We, we don't know. It's kind of very confusing because the, there's no missionaries at this time. There's no 
There's no Paul walking around trying to convince people that the God of Israel is somebody to be understood or believed. I suspect, I, I could be wrong, but I suspect she had heard stories of a God who had said it will not rain and it hadn't rained. And so she had concluded that this God had to be real. And she had made that choice to believe in him. So if we go down to verse 10, it says, So he, Elijah, went to Zarephath. And when he came to town, the gate, which would be outside the city, a widow was there gathering sticks. We don't know exactly how she would have been identified as a widow. Maybe her clothing, maybe the time of day that she came. But anyway, he called out to her and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I could have a drink? Now that's pretty common, someone asking for water. Sure, no problem, I'll go get that for you. But as she was going to get it, he called and he said, and please bring me a piece of bread. Now he's just asking for a piece of bread. And hospitality, again, in a Jewish town was expected. If your town got labeled as someone who wouldn't show um, hospitality to strangers, harm would come to you. You could be rejected by the people for not doing something so simple as giving a piece of bread. But again, she's not Jewish and we don't know her culture. She went to get water. So maybe there was some form of hospitality in that town, but then there comes a twist. Yeah, um, things start not to match up here. Things said earlier, start to seem out of sync, starting in verse 12, um, because she's been asked for this stuff, and she says this in verse 12, as surely as your Lord God lives, which, by the way, is going to be central to this whole text, it's gonna, it's gonna actually play itself out at the end of this. That statement is big. But then she says, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Listen, if this is the person that was tapped to provide for Elijah, you're starting to scratch your head. It's not, she just doesn't have bread. She doesn't even have a lot of supplies. In fact, it's about to get worse. She says this, I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Is this right? Did God have a misfire here? Because it looked like he was taking somebody who was in a desperate situation, Elijah, and just delivered him to the doorsteps of a person who was in a desperate situation herself. And together, they're supposed to find a way through this. It's a bit of a mystery, all of this desperation. So I wanna ask you, have you ever been there in a desperate situation? Not just limited options, no options. No hope, you're out of control. This is the place where Elijah and the unnamed woman found themselves. Their only hope is God. And in our country, that's a really uncomfortable place for us to be because we're fixers. We want to get things done. And if we can't get it fixed, then we feel like God is the one who has let us down. God, you're late to the game. Why aren't you showing up? Why did you let this situation unfold? Why did you allow such a desperate situation to come to me in my family, my work, my life, my friends? Instead of thinking that God could be the answer to the why or to the crisis, oftentimes we pull back or we blame him 
we're done. I don't think it's any mistake this week that we had a desperate situation in our community where things fell out of control. We had to wait and see what God would do. I was out walking and talking to God this week um, about the situation, about Kim and Devo and their little grant. And I was saying, God, what in the world were you thinking? Why, why did you allow this? What was going on in your mind? What did you want us to see? And I felt like he just said in my spirit, the real world is the unseen world. So we've asked Kim and Devo to come and share a little bit about that unseen world that God moves in on behalf of their little precious son. Thank you so much. You guys, come on over here into the light. Okay. You don't have to sit down if you don't want. Thanks. Okay, so I'm Kim. Um, this is my husband, Devon, and our son, Grant. Um, Monday started out like any other day. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have heard this story. Um, but we keep saying, you know, it's not our story. It's God using, coming through us um, to tell us that he's still alive. Um, but Grant, uh, we were at a junior high track meet, and um, he was upstairs in a press box with us and was just trying to get a closer look um, when he found the only open window that was up there, and he fell. Um, we were told it was 15 feet that he fell, there was nothing that broke his fall. He just went out the window um, and landed on the concrete. My entire family was there except for two of us. Um, and I took off running at that time and went down the stairs after him. Um, God slowed me down a little bit as I missed pretty much most of the stairs to get to him. And um, when Grant fell, he landed at the feet of a nurse and she was able to start assessing him, um, seeing what needed to be done. There was also an EMT there that grabbed him and held him close and didn't move his head, didn't move his body. Another nurse came up and started um, helping and just in that moment, everybody was where we needed to be. So every person that could be of help to us was there. Um, my brother-in-law is an EMT, he was right there helping with the situation. Um, people were holding umbrellas over us as it was raining and I had no idea that it was still raining. Um, and Grant was in and out of consciousness and so they said for sure he has a concussion. We were flown to um, Fort Wayne Hospital and cannot think enough the people who were there ready to go. As soon as we got off the helicopter, um, getting him, assessing him, the doctor came in multiple times and said, you know, I know that there's tons of people here. People just started showing up in the lobby to support us and be there. <clears throat> he said, I know I heard your story, but tell me again what happened because there's just no reason that a little boy would fall from a window, land straight on the concrete, and still be alive. Um, he has multiple times who caught him and just laid him on the ground. And we said, nobody, as we didn't see him land, we just took off out of the press box towards him. And so we didn't see that part, but everybody was there and nobody said they caught him. And so he was doing, um, he had CT scans and they did ultrasounds and they literally found nothing wrong with him. 
no skull fractures, no bleeding of the brain, there was nothing wrong. The worst part that was terrifying for me was when I saw him, he had blood coming out of his mouth, and of course I thought the worst. Um, but he only bit his tongue. He had no chipped teeth. There was nothing wrong, um, physically wrong with him that they could see. There was bruises um, and some scuff marks that he had falling the day before in our driveway. Um, so another doctor came in and was reading the scans and he said, I'm sorry, but I need to know again, like what happened to this little boy? And there was no, nothing. Nobody cradled him, nobody earthly here. Um, had cradled him, he just, he fell, and without a doubt, I don't, um, I don't doubt at all that God was there, God helped him, God helped us in the moments. It was the longest drive for my family to go to Fort Wayne, um, to be there for him, and it was the longest flight for me ever, but the whole time, you know, I just kept saying, God, I, I can't lose Grant, um, and never once did I question that he was there with me, um, Mother's Day weekend is particularly hard for me as four years ago this weekend I lost um, a baby that I was carrying and I've always just thought, you know, Mother's Day was a celebration, yes, but I couldn't really celebrate because I was missing a piece of our family. Um, and so in that moment I kept thinking, you know, it's Mother's Day weekend and you can't, you can't take another child from me. Um, and I felt so desperate, but so many people in the community, and we opened up Facebook, that's all they were saying was, they were praying for us, people that we didn't even know, strangers, um, were praying for us, and we felt the prayers. So many people in other states were praying for us and asking how he was, and he, it's a miracle. There's no other way to put it other than that God was there with us. Um, we're dealing with the effects of a concussion and just being really irritable and wanting things, and we're okay with that. Like, we have our grant, he's here with us, and we could not be more thankful for that, um, just knowing that God was there with us. I guess I would like to share a little bit. Um, when it all happened, um, I heard somebody scream, and I was, I looked to my right, and all I seen was a shadow, and then the impact of it. So the impact of it from him hitting the concrete was what was in my head the whole way, the whole drive down to Fort Wayne. I couldn't, I couldn't get that out of my head, and just thinking how far he felt, you were just like thinking the worst, you know. I remember coming home that night and the cousins were all there and he was playing and I walked in the door and he, he doesn't call me dad, he calls me Dito. And so he said, Dito, and he comes running and gives me a big hug. And I remember going into the shower and uh, he comes in there a couple times knocking on the door, asking for me. And so the drive down there, that's all that I kept thinking about was that the last hug that I got from him. And it was one of the worst drives that I could ever imagine. But he is here. 
Um, and we can't praise the Lord more. Um, just like Mike said the other day, it is, um, Grant, it, it's God's children, you know, and sometimes it's just amazing things that God does, and we're, we can't praise him enough and the community for the support and everything, so I just want to thank everybody for that. I think in the moments afterwards, like reading um, the Bible, I kept coming. Um, Grant loves to sing, and so right now that's what he wants to do is he's asking me if he can sing. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the verse that kept sticking out is a verse that I have read and heard a million times. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And in those moments, there's no other way that, you know, I... I was given so much strength from God just to be there for Grant, and I kept thinking to myself, I can't, I can't get sick, or I can't um, cry too much because they won't let me be with him, and um, honestly, that verse just stuck out the most because right now, I know 100% that's what it was. He gave us strength, um, and you know, for all the doctors to be able to see that you know, there's medically nothing that explains why he doesn't, you don't even see a cut, even a little scratch on him. Um, and so that doesn't make sense. And so it was amazing to say no, but God was there and he had him and he had each and every one of us. And so we are celebrating this Mother's Day extra special this year. Um, and we have just a new, new praise and we are so thankful and so thankful for all of our family and our friends and strangers for being there for us um as grant would just like to sing <laughs> can you thank them for sharing their story that's hard i love that um, i love their courage I love the fact that they shared honestly from the heart and the rawness that they were feeling and thinking and the memories and the fact that God showed up. That's who we turn to when there's nothing else. I think sometimes we think, okay, God, how could you have let such a painful thing unfold? How could you have let Grant fall? And God's answer involves the common things. A child fell. But the uncommon things was the height and the people that were there on that day that were ready to take care of him. That's the beautiful place that he met him. He met them and he met all of us. God moved, but he didn't move without heartache. You heard them. We have pain and we would like it all to go away, but we don't get that chance until we get to the other side, into the eternal world, the unseen world. What we have here is difficulties. We get to choose whether we trust God of the unseen or whether we just look at what's here and now. Um, we're going to find out uh, in the scripture that God's worth trusting in a moment of desperation, and it's full of all the kind of stuff that you heard in the story that was just on the stage here, because in verse, seven, or in verse 13, Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Fear is a pretty normal part of this. Afraid of what? Afraid of um, a stranger who's asking a lot? afraid of running out of food, afraid of death, a lot to be afraid of. But um, Elijah, Elijah pushes it. And he says, I want you to go home and do as you have said. 
dude, you've said, I'm, I'm planning to make my last meal and die. You want me to go home and start working on that? Yes, but, <laughs> he, he is bold, but first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. The, the guy has been in the desert for a year and it's starting to show, right? Like that, that's a pretty bold question. In fact, um, he goes on to say, then make for yourself something for yourself and your son, which seems out of order for any sane person. The last amount of your food, I want you to bring me some first and then you can take care of your family. Then you can do that. And so this desperation doesn't seem to be getting any better, at least for her, except it's not over yet. Elijah has one more thing, and this is where uh, things really come together. Verse 14, he says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, which goes back to this idea that she said, I think he's a living God. And now the question is, this living God that you believe in, will you believe and act on the words that this living God speaks? It's all gonna come down to your willingness to act right now because there's a solution I'm gonna give you, but you're going to have to trust. And this is what he says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So let's get real. I wanna ask you, what would you do in that situation? You're asked to give away your last meal to a stranger that you don't even know. I asked myself, what would I do? And yesterday, we were actually visiting my second son, Enoch, um, because he was graduating from college. And in the box was a leftover pizza that we had from the night before, and I saw my husband take it out and open it up and start to eat it. And what do I do? I grab that box away from him and say, no, that's Enoch's. We can buy food later. And I just thought, if that was my automatic, like, knee-jerk reaction, to someone taking food from my child, what was this widow going to do? What would you do? What would you do? This is what she did in verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. Again, it's a huge risk. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her son. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of the oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Do you remember what God said to Elijah? I have directed a widow to provide for you. But it doesn't look like God's directing her. Did she know he was coming when he came to the town gate? Did she have food ready for him? Or was she surprised, like... Why is this guy asking me for food? I'm going to die. I begged who asked you to think. She probably had no idea. But God moved in that situation. Elijah says, go bake, and this will happen. And there are two reasons that we think that maybe this is how God was using direction in her life. Not audibly to hear her or so she could hear him but in two specific ways, and Blair's gonna share the first one with you. I wish I could tell you that your life would not face desperate moments, but I can't do that, because it's very clear that in this scripture that there are two people 
who have a connection with God and find themselves in a desperate moment. But it's also clear that there was one thing that they both had in common that showed through. Both of them had an ongoing relationship with God. We, well, Elijah, we understand. He's a prophet of God. This woman from a foreign country, we don't quite understand. We don't know how that relationship started. We don't know how it developed. But we know enough that there was enough going on between her and God that God trusted that when he spoke, she would actually risk something, risk big, risk giving a stranger food before her own son. Uh, I think sometimes we discount, we don't understand the value of the ongoing relationship that we can experience with God through devotions, through connecting through the day, through music, through all these kinds of ways that you find a way to connect with God. That becomes priceless for you in the moment of desperation. It is a relationship that's developed over time. And we see here that both of these people in a desperate situation had that relationship and that's what carried them forward. They trusted. Is it possible that God directed her because she was in a desperate situation? So if I was being honest with you, I think sometimes the only time God gets our complete attention is when we're desperate, when there's a crisis, when there's absolute brokenness, when there's nothing left. Because a prophet who needed food from one country, travels for miles and miles across desert to another place, another country, where another widow needed food. And his answer was give. Give up your son's meal. Give up control. The story for her is not done. There's still more desperation ahead because a short time later, her son actually gets very ill and he stops breathing and he dies. And she picks up her son and carries him to that prophet and says, you're a prophet of God. Why did you come here? My son has died. And the prophet of God takes that son in his arms. He walks up those stairs and he says, God, why? This desperation, why have you allowed it? And he breathes on him and he prays. And the son begins to breathe again. And then she says, truly, this is the God of Israel is real, and you are a prophet of God. Desperation doesn't always end with just a one-time story. Sometimes it goes on and on, and we have aches that go on and on. And as moms, we might wrestle with times when God comes to us and says, I want you to put me first before your kids. And all of us, I want us to be challenged to look at our lives and say, when God is asking too much, when the ache seems too desperate or the sin seems too big, God, can you come close? In Elijah's words, he says, don't be afraid. Go to God, lean in, wrestle. God's not afraid of that rumbling within you. He is directing you and he wants to change your heart and open and make it bigger. He's close and it might not be the answer that you want in the way that you want it, but he loves you. He lives and breathes and moves in that unseen world that we have no idea what's going on. 
He wants to move into that lack that you have, the tiredness that you have, the anger that you have, the frustration, the sins that you have. And he wants to move. So I'm asking you to trust him and watch him move. Will you pray with me? God, you say that your eyes move to and fro throughout the whole earth to strongly support those whose hearts are completely yours. And God, I confess there are times when my heart is not completely yours. It gets tired. I sometimes feel like I'm done. I don't have the energy. I don't know what to do. I don't have the answers. So will you come into those deep, dark places of unknown, of pain and of ache, of sin and fear and trepidation? And will you come in your uncommon, holy way and begin to release us and show us that you have answers, even if they're not ones we want, that we can lean on you, that we have a Father God who is not afraid, a Father God who can be leaned on. As you move, you move. I pray that you will move in each one of the hearts today that come, that the walls will go down and we'll let you into those messy places. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?